And I guess good morning to you. Thank you so very much for staying with us this morning on gospelbellsradio.com. The day is Monday, the 4th of December, 2023. The program is On the Lord's Side, Christian Perspectives on News and Current Events. My name is Olufemi Oguntoko. You can follow me on Twitter at Olufemi Oji. You can follow Gospel Bells Radio on X, formerly Twitter, at Gospel Bells Radio. I want to begin this morning with the controversy uh, that has been in the news recently in Nigeria uh, concerning the founders of Lagos. I do not know whether you have been following that controversy, but it has been there since the Oba of Benin made a statement while visiting Lagos and he he posited uh, that Lagos, uh, the nucleus of Lagos, a co, was founded by the Benis. And since then, you've had many other persons with platforms in the in the culture putting in their own two cents. And you have, at this point, I would say, uh, conflicting opinions, conflicting accounts about the founding of Lagos. For those who may not know, for those who may be listening to the other side of uh, Nigeria, Lagos itself as a state is a state in Nigeria. The state, Lagos State, used to be the capital of Nigeria. But Lagos itself, uh, the state encompasses much more landmass than uh, what is known historically as Lagos or as Eko. Eko Eko itself is what when people have described as the uh, the nucleus of Lagos State. Uh, Eko itself is a, it's a historical it's a historical town, uh, historical city you would say because of uh, its historical association with commerce. And of course, because it's the it, it's the most cosmopolitan of all the cities in in Nigeria, uh, it is by far. Of course, by far, uh, the one generating the most revenue, it is cosmopolitan, it is the commercial nerve center, as has been often described uh, by many people of Nigeria. It's a popular place. It's difficult for anybody to talk about Nigeria without talking about Lagos State. And in Lagos State, it is impossible to talk about the history of Lagos without talking about Lagos itself, uh, that the the nucleus of, of the state itself. So much ado about the founders of Lagos. It is not... It is not... Well, something unreasonable, it is not something out of place to suppose that people will be interested in the history of a city like that. Even for cities that, that do not have as as extensive ramifications as, as, as Lagos, you would expect that historians should be interested about the history of the place. And not only historians also, not only historians, but all and sundry. You want to know, you want to know about your history that is, that is much benefit to that. You want to know for a fact uh, what happened and what did not happen. And I think this controversy has brought to light a number of issues, including the, the integrity of the history we read and how those who are wise, those who are circumspect must uh, go behind go behind the speakers and go behind the uh, those who are making positions here and there to discover the real history. If you want to know about a, a person or a place, the true history of the place, uh, you need to first shut out the noise and sift through, sift through all the other things you have there before you can, uh, because you, before you can get to the truth. If you if you have come across this famous uh, famous expression, I do I do not know to whom it should be attributed, but it goes something like this: it says, as long as the history of the haunt is written by the hunter, uh, the lion will continue to be painted as 
as a bad guy, and and this is me just using uh, my own language to express it, meaning that uh, if a hunt took place, a hunter killed a lion, that itself is, is history. Anything that takes place is history, it's historical. Now, to write about it, if somebody should tell the story, the point being made by the person who made that wise observation is that the person that the history will be told from the viewpoint of the person who wrote the history. It is the person who puts pen to paper, who, who, who goes to press, who publishes the account of anything, who tells it from his or her own vantage point of view. And more often than not, you find that the storyteller will tell it to glorify himself, to burnish his own credentials or the credentials of his forebears. Anyway, I mean, I want to take this article from this day newspaper. It is titled, Much Ado About the Founders of Lagos. And this person wrote saying, a passing remark by the Oba of Benin or by Iwari II that Lagos was founded by the Benin, a position that was earlier canvassed by the Oba of Lagos or by Riwan Akilu as against sparked unnecessary reactions. And this writer posits that for a country like Nigeria that is plagued by insecurity and serious economic crisis, efforts should be channeled towards rescuing the nation instead of dissipating energy on unhelpful debates. So you have one take on this controversy. This is somebody saying, look, instead of you thinking about things like that, instead of us arguing about who founded Lagos, oh, let us let us concentrate our energy and our efforts towards rescuing this nation from the myriad of economic woes uh, that uh, that confront that confront her. And of course, that's one approach to dealing with this question. When you come across questions like this, uh, and, and this is going to bother the, the main point we want to make out of this. Uh, first, let's take some steps back. This is some steps back. Now, many people know, historically speaking, and even those who have not read history, you only need to have an engagement with the culture of the Bini people uh, of Nigeria uh, from the ancient Bini kingdom to know that there is close association uh, between the Binis and, and Yorubas. And in fact, between the Binis and the people of Lagos, it is said that uh, for a long time, uh, before a Oba was crowned in Lagos, that Oba would have to visit uh, the palace of the of the Oba of Benin. You only need to listen to the language to observe the culture, even sometimes the uh, the food eaten in Benin Kingdom to know that there is a close affinity between the, the two cultures. Now, before now, uh, the Oba of Lagos, Oba Rimanakiolu, had said himself that modern-day Lagos was founded by Prince Ado, who is the son of the Oba of Benin. This Prince Ado was said to have come from Benin and that he had founded modern-day Lagos. Also, there are a plethora of history books suggesting that the Beninese founded Lagos. Anyway, uh, many people have since come out to to dispute that, to say that it did not happen uh, that way. It didn't happen that way. Now, the reason why it would be difficult to align with those who are now saying it did not happen that way would be because before now, history books have been written about the matter, right? And before now, it had been settled, I would say, uh, among scholars that if the Benin did not really found Lagos. They played a major role in founding what is known as ECO, the nucleus of Lagos. Many, many people are saying that, oh, this is just uh, revisionism. Uh, this is an attempt by people who do not want to 
or rather this is an attempt by uh, negotiants who think they have come to themselves, uh, that they are uh, the leaders in the culture, so to say, who do not want to be seen as one subservient uh, to the Beninese any longer. But I do not know what, what you want to make of this. But for us on the Lord's side, when we look at disputes about history like this, it reminds us about why history uh, truly matters. It matters because truth matters. History matters because truth matters. As long as truth matters, history will matter. And now you listen to the opening part of this article from this day, where this writer suggested that instead of us talking about history, instead of us arguing about history, we ought to be focused on the hardships in Nigeria. We ought to be focused on the myriad, uh, the many problems confronting us as a society and not think about history. I respectfully disagree with that. I think truth is, is sacred. Truth is sacred so much so that if any attempt is made to distort the truth, or to fabricate a lie and put it in place of the truth, it is it is of utmost importance that that be addressed immediately. In fact, any society uh, that turns a blind eye to those who are distorting its history is that society that will fall into even even deeper problems than the problems uh, it uh, is currently confronting. Somebody may say, "Look, we have more we have uh, more pressing problems. Let." People think whatever they want to think about our history, and then we are we just going to move forward. You must have heard that uh, that uh, that axiomatic saying that those who forget their history, what happens to them? They run the risk of repeating the same mistake. Somebody may say that okay, in this case of whether the Beninese founded Lagos or not, what uh, what possible mistakes uh, could be repeated by forgetting that part of. Uh, by forgetting that part of our uh, of our history, of course, you think of when, when you forget history like that, then you uh, you you forget to emphasize the community, the community of the of the human race itself, and and then you see the wonderful work of God. Because when you look at history like that, when you find that uh, the people of Lagos will become indeed a people of, of, of themselves uh, on on their own, when you think of them. And then you realize that, oh, really, that the nucleus of Lagos was founded by the Beninese. You wonder how, 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 how interesting, how interestingly, how fascinatingly the trajectory of history travels. Really, you wonder how, how fascinatingly the, the trajectory of history travels. In the same way, when you recall that there was a time when the Romans occupied what is now known as England, what is now known as much of the United Kingdom, really. Uh, you also, I mean, you also wonder at the trajectory of history, and it um, it humbles you. It humbles you to know that where the things you see today may not be the things that will be in uh, in thousands of years. Uh, but then, as Christians, when when matters of history come forward, we are not we we are not strangers to controversies about history, are we? We are not strangers to controversies about history. And there is a book that is both a book of instruction and a book of history uh, that many people have tried over the years to to ridicule. Many people have tried over the years to, to criticize. They, they continue to try, but why has the Bible endured as one of the most reliable, one of the most reliable uh, sources of historical accounts in the world? One, because there are multiple manuscript copies of the Bible. 
No, no, the Bible. I say, oh, but of the different books comprised in the Bible, there are multiple manuscript and, and what, what are manuscript copies? Manuscript copies are the the exact the the first paper, the first parchment used by those writers to document the accounts in those books. They exist. They exist. They have been found. Remember uh, the, the 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 Black Sea find of those days, which was one of the great wonders that the Lord did for the world, where most of the accounts in the New Testament were preserved in manuscript. In manuscript, you could see uh, the handwriting of the human person who wrote those accounts. Though, so so they were not fabricated by people who thousands of years after thought of stories uh, there are multiple manuscript copies yeah, this of the Bible in fact one source says that the Bible has an extensive manuscript tradition with thousands of thousands of copies contributing to cross verification and textual accuracy and then there are early manuscript fragments. You find that at uh, the existing manuscript we have, you also find the fragment, the early fragment from probably uh, the first time that those manuscripts were were written. Uh, that there have been archaeological corroboration of, of of facts in the Bible. Numerous numerous archaeological discoveries support biblical accounts, validating historical events, locations, and people mentioned in the Bible. You mentioned in the Bible, and then you find that many of the writers writers whose manuscripts have been found, whose accounts have been corroborated by archaeological finds, many of them were eyewitnesses. So they were there you find in the Bible many eyewitness accounts, uh, which accounts have also been corroborated by archaeological finds. You also find you also find conte- contemporaneous books written uh, at the same time as some of the biblical accounts Contemporaneous books that also that also corroborate what is in the Bible. You want to talk about external historical references. You want to talk about geographical accuracy. You're not going to go and read the Bible. You do not find any other book written at the same time making contrary claims. But you find that the geographical accuracy in the Bible is just it, it just is just mind-boggling, and that has been uh, a source of headache for the critical scholars over the years. Because you just look at the geographical accuracy of what is in the Bible, because you just go to those places and you find the same places there, and I mean, you must just be, you must just be in awe and wonder when the Bible says, for example, and the place is still called this until this day, and you find that it is exactly, it is exactly so. It's also consistent with ancient documents. There is lack of contradictions. Uh, there, uh, there are critical scholars who have looked at the Bible, they try to point out contradictions, but of course, uh, if you take your time to look at the point they have raised, you find that there are resolutions right there in the Bible. And many people have said, how can it be? How can it possibly be that a book written, you know, over a span of uh, about 2,000 years and by different authors, right, from different parts of the world, how can it be that that book is just so cohesive they just so they just such a systematic agreement among all the writers, so much so that you cannot find any credible contradiction in the Bible. Yeah, some critical scholars will point to this and that. Sometimes they point to uh, to a writer saying that somebody lived for 43 years. Another writer is saying that that same person lived for uh, a slightly uh, different. Uh, 
time of years and they say look uh, this is proof of contradiction but you find uh, when you study these things very closely that there are explanations for those things but in the main in the main there are uh, the even the critical scholars of the bible have marveled at the lack of contradictions uh, in the different books comprised in the Bible, the reason why we are bringing this hope is to say, yes, yeah, whenever there is a dispute in the culture about history, yes, it is good for us to resolve those disputes. It is good for us to investigate those disputes, and the way to investigate them is to go to to uh, to the early to the early history books written about that matter that has come uh, under dispute. And when people go into, when people go to those early history books, yes, uh, some may argue that even those early historians possibly wrote uh, the history from their viewpoint. Uh, and that would be true uh, from uh, from a critical point of view. But for the Bible, for the Bible, what's one of the beautiful things about the Bible? Is that you look at those accounts, you do not find that the writers were trying to paint the protagonist in glowing, in glowing light. Were they where they uh, does the Bible hide from us the fact that Abraham lied? That Abraham was so afraid uh, of a king when he got to, to Egypt that he lied about the status of Sarah. No, the Bible uh, does not keep that from us. Does the Bible keep from us uh, the matter uh, about the weaknesses of Moses? No. And you find over and over again that the Bible is one of is perhaps the only historical book uh, written from the from God's point of view about His people, about His heroes that does not hide from us uh, the weaknesses of these heroes. You want to you want to talk of any of the biblical heroes, and you find uh, you find the Bible uh, documenting the weaknesses of those people. Uh, we can rely we can rely on the Bible as an accurate source of history. We can rely on the Bible as an accurate source of history. Through the ages, through the ages, efforts have been made to discredit the Bible as a reliable source of history. And those efforts have always come short. They will always come short. And I think anyone who makes it a point to say, well, I choose to go with the Bible. I choose to believe what the Bible says. That person will never find himself in the wrong. Of that, I'm sure... And I do hope you are of that mind as well. Next, I want to talk about this article that I came across in the Times of Malta, uh, an article concerning the Freemasons. I do not put myself forward as an expert on this point, but but uh, if you have been following a recent development in in Christian news circles, you must have read about how the Pope uh, Pope Francis has again renewed the Catholic Church's position on Freemasons and generally on the church not open to associating with those who belong to uh, to secret societies and this, this article from the Freemasons from the Times of Malta says 
Freemasons Grandmaster Defense Organization as Vatican confirms ban. As Vatican confirms ban. Uh, and, it, and it says that the Grandmaster of the Maltese Freemasons hopes society will one day judge them for the peaceful and harmonious people they are after the Vatican reaffirmed its ban on Catholics joining the secretive organization. Uh, and I suppose that that, that opening paragraph uh, makes the whole point. So this is uh, the person who is regarded as the grandmaster of the Maltese Freemasons coming up and saying, well, uh, we have heard that the Vatican has renewed or rather, or rather has reaffirmed its ban on Catholics joining the secretive organization. But he's saying, really look, we are hoping that one day uh, the society will judge us for the peaceful and harmonious people uh, that we are. I want to go back to, to the article. It says the Vatican last week confirmed that Catholics are still forbidden from joining Masonic lodges. Asked to react to the news, Simon Cousins expressed hope that ideas around Freemasonry would change. Quote, Our hope is that one day, all of society's leaders and representational entities would judge regular Freemasons and Freemasonry only on its peaceful and harmonious practices and intentions in societies and communities where we live. We ought to be judged on the philanthropy we do in silence, the universality of mankind that we embrace, and the peace and harmony between all men that we pursue. And also, he mentioned that where the sovereign grand lodge of Malta, which he heads, forms part of the original regular Freemasonry, but other groups in Malta do not necessarily follow the same rules and values. It would, it would not address the Holy See statement directly, saying Freemasons avoid discussing all things divisive, including politics and religion. Regular Freemasonry, however, only accepts, according to him, good men that have a divine ideology or creed. So Freemasonry embraces, quote, all of man's worldly religions. Cousin said other institutions, not just religions, were still bare were still biased against Freemasonry. Among them, he said the judiciary, some regulatory and government entities, and some political parties. He also, he also mentioned that all other Christian faiths, namely Lutherans, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Anglicans, Methodists, as well as other faiths like Judaism and moderate Islam, have never objected to or condemned Freemasonry. This is not correct. Uh, I mean, this is not correct to say that that many of many of the other Christian faiths have not objected to or condemned Freemasonry. I do know for a fact uh, that belonging to a secret society, generally speaking, that Anglicans are opposed to that. I do know for a fact. I do know as a fact that Baptists are also opposed to that, and I'll be surprised that Methodists are not. Uh, so this statement is is to be disputed. But but I wanted to listen to this. He now said, on the contrary, several Christian faiths quote have priests who are open about their membership both within their respective churches as well as within Freemasonry. That's, that's what uh, the uh, the Grand Master of the Freemasons in Malta said uh, in this interview that uh, several Christian faith was trying to criticize the, Christ, uh, the Catholic Church for reaffirming the, the ban on on secret societies and the Freemasons, generally speaking. He said, look, but other Christian faiths, he mentioned, you know, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Anglicans, Methodists. He said many of, many of them have their priests who are open about their membership both within their respective churches as well as within the Freemasonry. I think I can, I think I can speak for the uh, for 
for the Anchor Communion in Nigeria. I can speak also for Baptist in Nigeria, and I know for a fact uh, that nobody uh, will be open about it because church rules forbid it. So it is not to say that there are not people who belong. We cannot know uh, whether a person belongs or not, but to our people who are open about their membership is forbidden by church rules. So this this part of his statement is to... Uh, is to be discounting us because we know as a fact that it is not it is not correct. And then he also said, and not only do these Christian faiths not condemn Freemasonry, but they willingly and openly participate and lead our prayers to our collective deities. Did you hear that our collective deities at the beginning and end of every meeting, as well as before our organized dining events? Now, I mean, before saying that, we should. Uh, con- we should contradict and dispute this t- statement made by this uh, by this man, who is said to be the grandmaster of the Freemasons in Malta. Uh, well, uh, we have to not trade all out again. This is a person saying that look, there are many Christian leaders from churches other than the Catholic Church who participate, who lead our prayers. That may be true because he's the one there. Uh, it's possibly that it is possible rather that he that he is lying about it, but it could be true. It has been said many times that there are many other religious leaders who belong to these societies, uh, but who uh, do not uh, confess their membership openly. In many of the churches that I know, uh, it is not allowed for anybody to openly associate with the Freemasons, uh, for example. But he, he, this is this man saying here that uh, there are many of them who lead their prayers. So, uh, long as short, he's trying to say that why is it a big deal and why is the Catholic Church reaffirming, uh, reaffirming its ban on the Freemasons and and, uh, and and such secret societies. He argued that for 300 years, regular Freemasonry instilled goodness. Cousins is still there. I mean, the, the thing to take away from his position is, to, is the thing to take away from his defense of the Freemasons is we are good people. We are good people. And I love that uh, the writer of this article, taken from the Times of Malta, uh, also put that in bold, saying that we we Freemasons are good people. That's one. He also mentioned not only that they are good people, he said, look, uh, we also... We also offer prayers to our collective deity. He said, look, we don't talk about anything divisive. We don't talk about anything that divides. Uh, we offer prayers to our collective deity. So meaning that whoever you worship, uh, you come with that person to their lodge, and then they offer prayers to them. And then he mentioned something. He said, look, among them, Prince Philip, uh, Winston Churchill, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, Nelson Mandela, King George VI, uh, Aldrin, and then Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. He said, some of, these are some of those people who belonged to, who belonged at one time or the other to the, uh, to the Freemasons. And, and uh, this is a point for us as people on the Lord's side to reflect on that question, the question of why secret societies are not allowed in Christian communities. Uh, I mean, many times on this program we have had occasion uh, to lament, really, uh, the the position of the Catholic Church on many of the burning issues in the culture, especially issues relating to the gender revolution, uh, we have been alarmed uh, on many occasions. We have lamented it. We have been left gobsmacked uh, by some of the positions taken by uh, taking under the papacy of 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 Pope Francis on many of those burning issues. But at least this is one 
on which uh, the Pope must be commended uh, for reaffirming the church's ban on people associating with secret societies. Uh, you, you may ask your question, why uh, do Christian churches frown on, on, on their members belonging to, to secret societies? Because the Christian faith encourages transparency. The Christian faith encourages you to live in the open. In the open, let your light so shine to the world. So shine, meaning that whatever you profess, whatever you do, the Bible expects you to do it in the open. In the open, not to have secrets, not to do things that people don't know about, not to have prayers that you offer uh, that cannot be offered in public, not to have creeds that you, uh, that you confess that cannot be confessed in the public. Christians are called to live uh, lie their lives in the open, in the open, to be as open as possible. Let your light so shine to all men. Uh, the uh, our Lord said, "Look, men do not light a lamp and then put it under their bed. That's not the way uh, a Christian is expected to live. A Christian is expected to have uh, a lit lamp and to put it for the old world, for the old world to see." The apostle also wrote saying that, "Look, now it is the time to put away all the deeds of darkness." Because it is light and live as people uh, of the light. We are, we are supposed to live as people of the light. Again, when you join a secret society, Christian churches found our secret society because there are conflicting beliefs and practices in those secret societies. And some may say, hey, don't go. How can you know when you do not belong to them? I mean, we just read from the man said to be the grandmaster of the Freemasons in Malta, saying right there that, look, in this society, we are good people. Well, let's not even deal with that uh, definition of good people. But he said, uh, in our society, we do not deal with anything that divides. People can come and then we offer prayers to our collective deities right there right there if you belong to any society whether secret or not where prayers are offered to a collective deity you are already engaging in in idolatry you are engaging in idolatry the christians are called to worship the one true god the one true god once you join people in worshiping other deities and you say you're offering prayers to many deities you're already you're already offending god and oh how dangerous it is for anybody to join something like that or to offer prayers to to a god or a deity other than the lord god almighty through our lord and and savior jesus christ again you find that many, many of these societies the members are required to take oaths and pledges how can you pledge to anyone how can you take any oath or pledge to anyone other than god when you take oaths for example in a court of law or in some other formal uh, institutions under law you take those oaths those oaths are always limited you they are always limited to the purpose uh, for which uh, they need to be taken for example uh, when you are signing when you go to the i mean when you are getting married and you take and take your oath when you want to give testimony in court and take oath, it's always limited to the things you want to do but you find that every all of those things are subsumed under your ultimate allegiance to the lord god almighty meaning that once you have to take oath that requires you to be loyal and cause for your fidelity to a being or to an idea above all else above all else before all else that's a dangerous uh, dangerous one i always love the oath if i may use that expression uh contained in psalm 16 in psalm 16 the psalmist wrote saying that Oh my soul, 
you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord, my goodness is not apart from you. And then he said, Their sorrow shall be multiplied, who is after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. Anyone who does not acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and that's the long and short of it. Any society that does not accept the Lordship of Jesus Christ, is not society you should belong to, and you must not take any oath of allegiance to any such society. Any such society, uh, when it comes to, if it's not, a oath, if it's not an oath, or pledge limited, limited uh, to the purpose uh, for which is being taken. That purpose itself must be godly. That purpose itself must be godly. It must be something noble. It must be something of good, of good report. And and, and I'm reading that he listed. This person also wrote saying that okay, thank you for this. Saying that it is also a distraction from Christian mission. When you join, said it's a distraction from Christian mission. It says in cases where involvement in secret societies requires significant time and commitment, churches may be concerned that so that such involvement distracts members from their Christian mission. And, and I fully agree with you. Thank you so very much for that. And I fully agree with this. When you join with such secret societies, uh, what happens is that uh, the time the limited time, really, limited time, because I mean, we all know as a fact that all the days fashioned for us were written in God's book before we lived the first one. All the days fashioned for us were, were, were written in God's book. So you have limited time. You also have limited resources. Even the richest person is limited in the resources he or she has because, you know, the, the needs are so many. Our first rule of, of economics, you know, the, the needs are so many. Uh, the things you could do with your wealth, they are so numerous that uh, whatever uh, wealth you have is actually limited. You are still always concerned about how, how, how the means uh, do not do not match the needs at every point in time. So it's a distraction from Christian mission when you join with these societies. Uh, if, if, you, if you are making commitments, financial commitment to them, those financial commitments could be used to advance the kingdom of God. If you are spending time meeting with them, that time could be used doing mission work, talking about Jesus Christ and promoting the work of the God. Thank you very much for this. In fact, I love this point that it is actually a distraction uh, from Christian mission. So number one, you think about it being secret if it is secret then it or it runs counter to the injunction of the bible inviting you to live in the open inviting you to live as people who will live in the daylight again because it conflicts with the beliefs of the bible and it does and because you are you are required to uh, to to acknowledge the existence of many deities but once you acknowledge even if you don't participate in the prayers, once you acknowledge the existence of different deities, you have already offended God. You have already run afoul of the first law, of the first law to worship the Lord God Almighty with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of, and all of your being. Once you take any oath or pledge allegiance to anyone other than the Lord God Almighty through our Lord Jesus Christ, you have already offended Him. You have you have moved away from the Lord's side. And then, once you spend your time and resources in affairs that distract from Christian mission, once you spend your time and resources, and, and, and this is a point for us to, to really note as, as Christian thinkers, as Christian apologists, that uh, this, is, uh, this is also one other ways, one other way rather, this is another, one other way of evaluating 
our decisions and evaluating our position. You want to ask yourself in, in devoting time to this effort, in devoting my resources to this thing, am I actually distracting from Christian mission? I, I do really love this point. Thank you very much for saying it. I do really love this point. Uh, it's one of the ways by which we can evaluate uh, our engagement, our other engagements outside of Christ. You want to ask yourself, if I choose to, to associate with these people or with this course, or with this society, how less time would I have for Christian mission? How, I mean, how much resources would be left to give uh, to the Church of Christ or to, to give to the cause of, of mission? Uh, we do pray for the generation of Christians who are totally committed, who are totally committed to the cause of Christ, so much so that you say that, oh, I love the thing you are doing there, even if it is not bad, even if it's not on God, I love what you are doing there, but you know, my sons are limited, and all of them, I want them uh, for for the glory of Christ, and we do pray that those to whom uh, these resources have been committed as well, they will never forget their duties uh, to use it in the proper way to advance the kingdom of God. Thank you very much for staying with us this morning on gospelbestreading.com for On the Lord's Side, Christian Perspectives on News and Current Events. I wish you a wonderful day. I look forward to being with you again tomorrow by God's grace. Whatever you do today, please remain firmly on the Lord's side. God bless you. God bless you very good. You are listening to gospelbellsradio.com, the Christian internet radio with a mission to engage the culture with the mind of Christ. Keep listening and invite others, too. God bless you. Engaging the culture with the mind of Christ. 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 Engaging the culture with the mind of Christ.